Hey guys, I'm Kyle. And I'm Evelyn. And this is Ironic, the show everyone's talking about, but they don't even know it. For another reminder, don't inject disinfectant into your body. Even if you really want to. It's Ironic. While we're under quarantine, we've been kind of catching up on our Netflix to-do list. And so um, Evelyn was talking about this with me. And I had actually never seen the show itself. I knew the general idea. So she brought up uh, Firefest on Netflix and said we should watch it, check it out, because I'd never seen it. And so we watched it and we decided, you know what, <laughs> this is worth doing a podcast episode on. So uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> I guess, for uh, those of you who are like me, who wait forever to watch things well after everybody knows all the information about it. So if you're <laughs> like me and you do that, uh, make sure you go watch the show before coming back, but do that and then come back because we will be talking about what happens in the show some, but with that, let's kick it off and get it started. Yeah, disclaimer though, we're not talking about the Hulu fire fraud. We're talking about the Netflix Netflix documentary fire, just throwing that out there because Hulu is not our scene. <laughs> we are Netflix folks because no ads. Hey. So the first thing I wanted to kind of talk about with it was like why it blew up so much mm -hmm. as far as the backlash i guess for the failure of it because it only failed for five thousand people that's true that's it's not a huge number it is a significant number but i mean everybody back in the continental u.s or anywhere else where it blew up didn't necessarily you know get negatively affected by it they can laugh and say oh yeah. wow that looks really bad and it's kind of funny because, like, mm -hmm. they're still on a deserted island having, you know, the time of their life. Maybe. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if it is the time of their life. <laughs> like, I mean, yes, everything was bad. But, like, if they didn't all just go crazy, they could have still had a nice, you know, like, beach vacation out on a private island. They didn't have anywhere to sleep. The, I've planned on going to the beach and sleeping in the sand. <laughs> okay. All right. I mean, I think it blew up because it literally exploded. Like, when it became a thing, it all of a sudden was just there. Like, what do you mean? The Firefest released that promo video that was essentially like, there's randomly a luxury music festival and it's happening this year. And like, normally when you see huge things going on, it's like, you know, next year or whatever, you know, like it's, there's advanced planning for this kind of stuff and so all of a sudden it was just there and it was the biggest music festival the world had ever seen for five thousand people right <laughs> but that's i think it's less about why it got big and more like how it was even possible to get big because you're right it was five thousand people who's gonna know about it well Billy McFarlane, the guy who came up with the whole thing made sure that the world knew about it like that was if nothing else that was the one thing he wanted. Well, I mean, because the goal was use the festival to promote Fire the brand. Right. So and the, the app. But where, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that. Right. But, but that's what I'm saying, though, is that he wanted the world to know this festival was happening because he wanted the world to know about his brand. So it starts off being really smart. But it's, I feel like it's more about how McFarland convinced people that this was even a plausible thing. I think that's where this really did start. Because really, this whole thing was invented through lies. 
because I remember watching it the first time, and I even said this when I watched it with you, I was like, why doesn't he just hire actual industry professionals, and then it's somewhat doable, right? Like, he wants to do a big luxury thing. Why doesn't he hire people that can do it? Well, no, like, the the key to a massive um, music festival is to just go in blindly <laughs> and pray to every deity known to man and non, <laughs> non-man species that everything goes well. And I, I think that was the plan, to be honest. No, I, it turns out that really was his whole plan, because the more I looked into it, this whole concept was constructed on lies. So his very first conversations where he pitched this festival to investors, he highlighted how Fire, the brand, was already a $90 million company. Spoiler alert, it wasn't. And he also said he'd sold Magnesis, that phony credit card thing, for $40 million. Spoiler alert, he also hadn't done that. The figures, figures in a loose sense that he presented to the investors were absolutely completely fake. The citations were fake. The data points were fake. And he knew he had no ground to stand on. So he went into this knowing that he had nothing. Well, like, what's weird for this is getting investors for a festival where the plan was to lose money on the festival itself. Right, and that's why he went in saying we have a bunch of money. Like, that was his ground thing, was that we have so much money in this company that this is just going to be expensive advertisement. Because they talk about in that documentary, like, no one asked him about the details of the festival. You know, like if you're going to invest in a music festival, you want to know, you know, what talent you're going to have. But that wasn't the conversation because you're right. It wasn't really about the music festival. It was about being a giant ad. But then you might ask, could he have just been lying about all this funding to secure money for what he knew was going to be a fantastic experience? Well, yes, I'm glad you're asking that question because that's the first question I ask. The answer is, yeah, he totally could have done that. But did he? No. He literally underpriced tickets and overpaid talent. So I'm talking about a $250,000 payment to Kendall Jenner for one Instagram post. And Kendall Jenner knows that is overpriced. Like, she knows that. And yet she accepted it and did an ad on something she had nothing like no information about can you blame her though i mean she's exactly. getting her, she was getting her money right like and ba- even if she didn't it's one post to her her mm-hmm. account you know it's not gonna cost right. her anything however that's exactly what mcfarland was banking on and so that's why he paid everyone out the door because no one was gonna ask questions he booked blink 182 for literally three times their market price and they accepted it right away because it's three times their market price he didn't want anyone to ask questions but then when he was selling the actual tickets, so the cheapest ticket you could have got, the package started at $1,500. But somehow that ticket included round trip flights, hospitality, accommodation, the performances, and fully catered meals. Just as a reference, $1,500 doesn't even cover the flights. And like McFarland wasn't an idiot as much as he is. But like <laughs> He knew what the, these were costing. Not only was he told up front by literally everyone who he pitched these ideas to, but he literally had to pay these things himself. Like, he knew firsthand what this was going to cost him, and he specifically over- and underpriced things so that people wouldn't ask questions. People just took the deal. And it looks like, you know, from his perspective, if I can keep this BS going long enough, the festival will be popping, and then... 
the brand, the app will be popping and I'll make it all back and it's all going to be good. And that's a insane way to do business because you are, ha, it's going to be a pun here, playing with fire (laughs) (laughs) to, you know, recoup the cost, which like, yeah, every business is risky, but to the point where your risk is going to jail, that's, that's, that's a ballsy move. But he'd done it before. And I bet he'll do it again. I mean, he did. <laughs> I mean, I bet he'll do it again once he gets out of prison. Right. I mean, the man knows how to create hype around what he's doing. And it's crazy because he's basically valuing his company around hype. That's what he did for Magnesis. And that's what he did for Fire. And so he can kind of inflate those numbers like he did for the 90 million. Like, yeah, he just kind of made it up. But some of that valuation probably comes off of here's the hype of doing something that no one else is doing. The exclusiveness, the you're a VIP, like the experience that no one else can provide, no one else can give. And that made me wonder, like, what is the value of hype? I I don't know. I just feel like, yeah, there's value in hype, but. Billy McFarlane will never create another thing again. He mm. might create something with a poster child in front of him, but he can't have his face on anything. No, he can't. But, I mean, he can do just like what he did with, with that Frank guy at the end where he just lets somebody else do it for him and then he just rakes in money. But still, he was immediately caught for that. <laughs> As he should be. And Frank, <laughs> Frank wasn't the one that was charged. He was not charged with anything. Well, no, I mean, he's just some guy who was getting scammed the exact same way everybody else was getting scammed. So, He's got to be really stupid to trust that scam. There's no situation I can think of where I would just send out emails to people who had exactly. already been scammed and say, check out this amazing offer that's totally not related to fire at all. Yeah, I don't know. I just, because I mean, that's where it all came from was the fact that he had hired like the hottest models. And, like, that's what everyone wanted to do. They wanted to party on a beach with models. They didn't want to go to Fire Festival. It wasn't about Fire Festival. It was about that idea. And, I mean, McFarland even pitched that to everyone. Right, but, that, you know, I mean, coming in and saying uh, the cheapest tickets were, what, 2500 Is that what you said? 1500 1500 In what world do you know, as someone purchasing something... For $1,500, I will be flown out, do all these amazing things, party with supermodels, party with Jaw Rule, if that's something that, you know, tickles your fancy. <laughs> if <laughs> it can, is, get a new vision board. And do all that for 1500 Like, I, you know, there are great deals out there, but the, there's the obvious statement of if it's too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah, for sure. But that's where all scams come from. Like, that is every single scam. Right, and we we as people need to learn that. <laughs> yeah. And maybe that was a lot of this coming from rich people who pay for these tickets who think, oh, well, I'm, I'm rich. I don't get scammed. I'm smarter than that. Maybe. I don't know. I'm just speculating here. But I think something that, I mean, it's still, it gets talked about in there some in the in the documentary, but I don't think gets as much recognition as it, so, as it should, is the aftermath. Um, mm. really thinking about those people like on the island itself who were affected. Right. Well, I mean, even the people who weren't, I mean, I guess technically they were on the island, but not even people who lived in Great Exuma, like the people who 
McFarlane associated with and kind of destroyed their careers to an extent. I mean, so Andy King was the, <laughs> what'd you call him? You called him the MVP or something? Hmm? Oh, employee of the year. <laughs> yeah, the employee of the year. Um, he's the guy who was prepared to do some explicit things to get a case of water from. <laughs> it was more than a case of water. <laughs> it was like thousands of cases of water. But <laughs> regardless, um, Andy King is actually still 100% behind McFarlane, believe it or not. He's actually fairly su- successful still on his own, and he's still running his event production company. It's called Inkward Point, in case you needed an event. Um, but he seems to have distanced himself, like, business-wise from McFarland, and, like, obviously he doesn't put Fire Festival in his portfolio on oh, his website. It's not on his LinkedIn profile. <laughs> it's not on his LinkedIn either. I checked his LinkedIn. <laughs> but he has said that there's still a place in his heart for Billy as his mentee, and he even said that he'll likely visit him in prison, even if he hasn't already. That's so, commitment, though. I would, I can't even believe that. I mean, he talks about it in the documentary about how he really thinks a lot of Billy. And that's so strange to hear that in the documentary because he knows what has happened. And how could you after this? Yeah. Like, like, the fact that his career is still successful is extremely fortunate. I'm sure that took a lot of spinning on his end to kind Mm -hmm. of distance himself from what was going on. The craziest thing about Andy King watching the documentary was that he didn't have to do anything that he did. He wasn't paid to do any of it. No, he was just like a advisor. Exactly. Kind of. Like, Billy called him and was like, hey, dude, come down and bail me out. And he stayed the whole time and did everything for nothing. And now that you said that, that makes me worry that he's so wrapped around the idea of what he thinks Billy really is. Being, like, the great, like, we make value, we do awesome things guy, and not the what Billy actually is in real life. Right, because even with Magnesis, Magnesis wasn't a credit card. Did you know that? No. What are you talking about? (laughs) It was a card that was connected to an existing credit card. So whatever the limit was on whatever credit card you signed up with, that was your Magnesis limit. And it just copied the strip. So it was just your credit card. Linked to this name. Prestigious. Exactly. That's all it was. It wasn't even a credit card. Yeah, but I mean, it got you the, well, it got you the, like, VIP benefits of, like, going to parties and stuff. But, I don't know. I, yeah. I feel weird thinking that that's what my credit card does for me. Yeah. I'm like, oh, sweet, I get 1% cash back. That's pretty freaking dope. <laughs> <laughs> and... It it was like a little tiny thing at the end of the documentary where they said that Billy used his fire credit card to pay off Magnesis' debt. I don't even know if you caught that. No, I didn't. I missed that part, but that is... Yeah, because he was also scamming Magnesis' thing. So Billy's, like, his thing, his modus operandi is to overpromise and underdeliver and just expect everything to work out. Because if you notice, he was using his new venture to pay off his old venture so that he could further his venture. Right, which will then lead to the next venture, exactly. which pays off the old one, until he goes to prison for six years. <laughs> which, like, I get it, if to lose money to make money or spend money, whatever you want to call it. But part of me really believes that he 100% thought it was going to work out for him. But I have no idea why, because nothing has ever worked out for him. It has, though. He's still rolling in money 
even if it's on borrowed time that he's got that money, mm-hmm. he still gets to live the penthouse lifestyle, huh. still gets to be around supermodels and drink all day and party. And he's still doing that, even if it's on, like, a credit card, basically. I do have to say something about that penthouse that was in the documentary, though. That was just one of his friend's penthouses. Oh, uh, so he Jeff Lowed him? He Jeff Lowed him. Oh my gosh, shout out Tiger King. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that wasn't even his or anything. So, another person that actually was on the island, Marianne Roll. So she was the woman that ran the Exuma Point restaurant Mm -hmm. and she did all the catering and she did literally everything within a day. Yeah, that poor woman. Bravo to her. Seriously, that poor woman. So she's actually owed, and this is just an estimate because obviously there's no invoices for what they owe her because they just told her to do stuff and she did it, was $134,000. Just for her. Right. Her business, not for her employees. Exactly. So what she said on the documentary was that she dipped into her personal savings of over $50,000 to pay her employees and, like, get that stuff done. And her credit was gone, pretty much. You know, That's, and she's... that's a good employer, though. Yeah. Because she didn't have to do that, I don't think. Mm-mm. Absolutely not. But she had a GoFundMe page that raised, and is still currently active, but it's right now, as of today, it has raised over... 200, I need you to say the number. $230,000. Okay. (laughs) Spoiler alert, Evelyn has dyscalculia. That means dyslexia, but with numbers. (laughs) Anyway, but she's raised that much for her and for her employees. So it's not just like her recouping her losses. She's kind of spreading the wealth, which is great. But in that GoFundMe post, she says, there's an old saying that goes, bad publicity is better than no publicity. And I pray that whoever reads this plea is able to assist. And assist they have. I like, know. That's amazing that people have reached out and done this for them because they had nothing to do with it. It's not their mess to clean up. But you know the people who made the mess aren't going to do it. And before this post came out, she had heard nothing from anyone who was a part of the festival. Not Andy, not Billy, not Joe Rule, like... No one. She had heard absolutely nothing. She had called. Nothing was returned. And after she made this, Ja Rule posted on Twitter, My heart goes out to this lovely lady, Marianne Roll. We've never met, but I'm devastated that something was meant to be amazing turn out to be such a disaster and hurt so many people. Now, note, he did not spell out people. It's P-P-L. Because... Well, Twitter. He's running out of characters. <laughs> sure, sure. And in all caps, he says, sorry, like sorry is in all caps, to anyone who has been negatively affected by the festival. Rule. And just reading that, that doesn't sound very genuine. That's one tweet. Yeah, it's, it is one tweet. If it was like, I just got off the phone with Marianne yeah. and we talked about it and we're working something out to help her. You know, I don't know what his his net worth is, but I imagine he's still thriving. He may not be doing as great as he was, but I mean, he's probably fine. Yeah. I don't know what Ja Rule actually does. I, I think he's a, <laughs> is a rapper, right? <laughs> or ja Rule does Ja Rule for a living. <laughs> his profession is Ja Rule. Marianne's response, you're going to love this. She said, if you were sorry, donate to my campaign. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you're sorry, pay me for what you owe me. Right. That Yeah, that's not even a... Like, don't even pay for my GoFundMe. 
pay for your damages pay yeah. for what you promised yeah jaw rule <laughs> um but still speaking on the bahamans bahamians bahamians it's a bahamian and exumans and exumans which is the same thing <laughs> i didn't know that <laughs> well great exuma is an island in the bahamas okay got it geography but the day laborers and the guy jr who is interviewed they have a GoFundMe that raised almost $80,000, but it's now deactivated. Um, the goal was actually set to $400,000, so they're probably still wrecked, and most of them have probably seen nothing still. Yeah, like they've just had to move on, basically. You can just kind of pretend this was, I don't know, a, a one to three month hobby. Yeah. Where he didn't get paid. And, and I just went and worked my butt off for some ridiculous festival with no idea of what to do and then went home. And when I was even researching this, most of the publicity is on Marianne's success on her GoFundMe page, which is great. Yeah, we should talk about that. But we're only talking about the really, really bad things that Billy did and the really, really great things that's going on with Marianne. We're not talking about the people who literally built this thing. From the ground up. Because there's nothing to say other than sucks for them. I mean, it does. But it's you, just like any other profession. You know, they expect it to be paid. Right. Like, you gotta say something. Like, we have to talk about it. And it, it really bothered me reading it. Like, this is just my little soapbox for a second. That, like, we can talk about Billy. And we can talk about Mary. And we can talk about Andy. And, like, we care about this. But I had to search so long and hard to find Jr.'s name. Yeah, like if we yeah, we didn't His pull up name. the Netflix, we didn't pull up Netflix and watch it again. So we were looking on the internet, just looking for the cast, and and his name's not in there. But he's one of the first people that talks, and he has a huge part of the story. Yeah, and he was he was a cool character, and he talks. I mean, he's a human. Like he right. he talks with Billy on the phone. Like he's at the heart of this thing. And he's one of the most negatively affected people because not only did he not get paid, he had employees that did not get paid that are chasing him down. Yeah, and, and it's not, not going like, to want to work for him again now. Exactly. And there's just nothing on it. Nothing at all. So they're probably screwed. Speaking of screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Billy McFarlane right now, he's living his best life. Um, he is serving his six year sentence in jail. The documentary said he probably wouldn't serve that jail time. He is. Rongo. Yay. He did send out an apology from jail within, I think it was like the first month. And he. <laughs> what was it? I'm sorry. With a little like, you know, tear. Like, <laughs> oh, I am. Uh, you're so sad. <laughs> I, wish I, could, I wish everyone could see the face that Kyle <laughs> just made. <laughs> but um, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> he said essentially that he was ready to live out his restitution through this jail sentence. And then. What sparked this podcast was on the 14th of this month, 14th of this month. 14th day. 14th day of April in 2020. <laughs> he requested early release, citing coronavirus outbreaks. And um, that's interesting because less than two weeks earlier, actually 10 days earlier, he had an interview with the New York Times in which he said he wasn't all that worried about contacting COVID. Well, it's because he didn't know there was a way to get out of jail for it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, on, on the 14th of this month, he requested early release because of the coronavirus. And his reasoning was that he's a nonviolent offender and his likelihood of recidivism is so low. Really? Mm -hmm. Considering that he was scamming people 
right after the trials. Yeah, when he was literally on bail. Like, that's... Another... It's already... <laughs> like, that's already not true. <laughs> Another great part of this letter. Uh, cited Takashi 6ix9ine's release... As another reason, he said Billy and his lawyer said that he is a, quote, ideal candidate for compassionate release because Takashi 6 9 got it. Essentially, his argument is, well, he can do it, so why can't I do it? That's that's the argument. <laughs> that's such a, like, upper class <laughs> way to get out of prison. <laughs> and it won't even surprise me if it works. Yeah. But speaking of people with money getting out of things... I guess we should update you guys on Ja Rule. I really don't care. Boo, Ja Rule, boo. <laughs> ja Rule! Ja Rule! That was the best part of the whole documentary, is that tweet where someone just put in all caps, Ja Rule! Yeah. Like, that's just... Quote, shakes fists at heaven. <laughs> ja Rule! Damn you, Ja Rule! <laughs> I don't... No one cares about Ja Rule. Like, he said he was sorry. He didn't mean it. Like, do we really expect anything interesting to be going on with Ja Rule right now? It's 2020. If you say his name fast enough, it literally sounds like drool. So that's really all I have to say about him. <laughs> and kind of in that same vein of, like, people we maybe you care about, maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> I don't know. How does everybody feel about those rich folks who went and had the worst times of their lives? You know, do we feel bad for them? Or should we feel bad for them? Well, that's where all the memes came from. You know, ironic is all about the memes. Like, that's what we're here for. And that's what they all are, pretty much. Is just everyone, like, shakes fist at heaven's jaw rule. <laughs> like, they're making light and making fun of, like, one of the tweets on the documentary said, every time, like, a rich kid gets scammed, an angel gets its wings. Like, just making fun of the fact that rich people blew their money on this festival. That's obviously too good to be true. Yeah, but I mean, like there was, a, I saw one guy who had, his office had gotten a ticket and done like a raffle for it. Oh. So he's just, you know, just a middle class worker yeah. who won and he goes there. And of course for him, it's like, yeah, this kind of sucks, but I'm fine. Yeah. So his entertainment the entire time was just watching rich people who don't know how to deal with this lose their minds. Oh. So he had a great time. <laughs> he actually, he said, I enjoyed the trip. It was fun. <laughs> I love that. I wish I had seen that. I honestly, I'm going to be completely straight up. If I had $4,000 to spend on a luxury vacation to the Bahamas, I would absolutely take that deal. Want like, to go to Firefest? Yes, I would be that rich person because for me, it wouldn't be about the festival because the package has, oh my God, amazing things. So I, I, I didn't see the Firefest stuff when it was being marketed i never saw it didn't hear about it until the documentary came out and for me i'm like there's no way i would enjoy this <laughs> i'm thinking of like coachella or what's the one here the big one it starts to be bonnaroo bonnaroo yeah bon i'm thinking of like a bonnaroo where like it's hot you're dehydrated you're drugged up you're intense and you're just miserable yeah i know they said that they're in villas but even in a villa in the Bahamas in the middle of the summer, it's going to be so uncomfortable the entire time. That's the thing, though, is that's what's different about this, because that's I'm saying it's not a music festival because I've been to, I think, Bonnaroo once. But like, I don't like music festivals either because, yeah, it's hot. It's stinky. It's just not fun for me. But 
Firefest, you have a private island. You can go swimming whenever you want. Like, you can take excursions. It's pretty much a stop on a cruise. Because it's a weekend thing. And there's, you know, there's an island where you can go pet some pigs at. You can go take a jet ski out. I can do that probably probably less than 10 miles from our apartment right now if I want to go pet pigs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Like, you can swim with pigs in the Bahamas for $4,000 on top of catered meals no expense flight like you cannot literally you can't get that deal <laughs> and you won't no <laughs> like, but i mean if i was looking at it i would probably do some research on it but i don't know what research was available to them i can't say that i wouldn't be one of those rich kids i i think i can with the reason mm-hmm. being i would think this is a scam just because that's just me as a person. I don't, if something's too well, good to be true, I just assume it is too good to be true. And I'm with you. And I think that's why it turned into what it turned into because you have people who represent official brands representing this brand. You have Bella Hadid, other model, insert name, I don't know. I'm not up to date on influencers, but like <laughs> you have people, celebrities, actresses, musicians supporting this yeah but they're vouching for something they knew nothing about which like obviously as your everyday person you wouldn't know that exactly you have no idea yeah it's just crazy thinking because it's easy to say in hindsight well duh of course i wouldn't go the thing sucked well they didn't know it was gonna suck exactly i might have been that person with all that said um just one final note about uh firefest in general andy king for employee of the year for (laughs) what he was more than willing to do to go above and beyond for the customer who wasn't even paying for him. Exactly. Counterpoint, non-employee of the year. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you're not an employee if you're not paid. But with all that said, it's time to move into everybody's favorite segment. Oh, it's time for the guitar riff. It's time for the guitar riff, y'all. Welcome back to Sardonic and Ironic. So as always, we're going to start off with what was ironic about uh, this situation about Firefest. Everything. Everything, yeah. A lot. But we're going <laughs> to boil it down to, I guess, the biggest one that bugs me. And it's the irony of the fact that um, Billy had to pay $25, $25 million. 25 would be even, oh my gosh, that'd be even worse. That would just be an insult. <laughs> had to pay $25 million in fines for his crime. You know, uh, you're like, no, damn, 25 million. It wasn't even fines. It was restitution. That gets paid to his victims, like Uh, the people he scammed, his investors. I see. Didn't know the difference. Uh, Point being, 25 million, but he's made so much more money than that from his scams. It's just like the, the big banks and stuff when they get caught doing something illegal and they pay like a $2 million fine or whatever, you know, from the government. It's just a slap on the wrist. And that's insane because even after he serves his six years in prison he's gonna come right back out and keep living the penthouse lifestyle he's still made even if without those six years of his life which like six years is a lot even without those he still is going to be in the net gain he's still Mm -hmm. gonna be rich he's still gonna be well connected he's still gonna be famous to some degree now some of that fame is infamy (laughs) but he's a smart guy He's going to figure out how to spin that. He was already that. talking about it. Yeah, he's going to figure out how to spin that in his favor. And so that's kind of the irony of the situation for me is that he still gets to do all the horrible things he did and keep going at a net positive. I feel like part of that, I mean, obviously you can only go off of invoices and he only 
showed $25 million in restitution, but there was so many other things that he got from these investors and from these people that just aren't on paper. And so, I mean, I understand why it's that much because it's only what you can do. But yeah, I, I agree. It's still very much ironic in a bitter way. So for the sardonic, the part where it's mocking or critical. Oh, remind us what it means. Thank you. Yes. Um, the biggest thing that we see like getting mocked and people being critical of are these rich kids and the quote trust fund babies that everyone's making fun of with the memes. And a part of me is like loving it because I am a broke person. Like, But a lot of it has like animosity in it because it's all of these people who are like hating from outside the club <laughs> where they're like, oh, look at all these rich kids sad and scared. And like that guy you were talking about who like went and was like, it really wasn't that bad. Like, it was funny. Like it was a good little time to have, but also it was completely free to him, you know? On the other side, you have the rich people that are getting mocked, and to them, that was a completely traumatic thing for them. Because when you think about it, it wasn't just the ticket they bought. It was the wristbands on top of that, and whatever they got stolen, or whatever physical harm came to them (laughs) while they were in the crazy nights on the island. It's just very strange to have two polar opposing views on this, and I'm like right in the middle, where I'm like... Yeah, I probably would be one of those rich kids crying in a tent, but I'm going to laugh at them. (laughs) (laughs) So it's easy to hate from outside the club. Yeah, and I feel like that's what it comes down to, is the sardonic aspect of this is just someone's hating on something they could literally never comprehend. And with that, we're going to wrap up the episode here. Don't forget to give us a follow, give us a like on Facebook and Instagram at Ironic Podcast, and give us a follow do some retweeting. Tweet at us. Tell us what you thought about the show on Twitter at ironic underscore podcast. Or you can send us an email at ironicpodcast at gmail.com. We're here for it. We love the interactions. We love the memes people are sending in. So keep sending those in and let us know what you think. And keep an eye out in the future for a bonus episode. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye.